It's so good to see all of you, and thank you for all of you who are joining us online. As, uh, as Daniel said, um, I'd say that maybe the content today might be PG-13, but I think that if you had a, even a 10 or 11-year-old, if, if, if you would explain some of the things that, that I'm talking about today, I think, I think it might be worthwhile um, for, for your children. Uh, I have my, uh, my uh, tea here in my South End Community Church mug because I, I, my, my vocal cords are getting as old as I am. And so I've, I've had a frog in my throat the last couple of weeks. So um, we'll, hopefully we'll get through all this. Um, you know, today um, I want to tell you about something that's uh, it's been around my heart. And we haven't talked about it. And so I, I thought I'd, I would do that today and kind of connect it with what we're, we're going through. You know, we're, we're only a little more than five months into 2022 and uh, already we can say what a what a crazy year it has been. If it, if if dealing with COVID and the war in Ukraine and out of control inflation and crime uh, it hasn't been enough, I want you to consider three significant news stories that broke in just the last few months that I believe speaks volumes about where our country is at today. Uh, first, around the middle of March, Leah Thomas, formerly known as Will Thomas student at the University of Pennsylvania, became the first transgender athlete to win a Division I NCAA uh, championship in women's swimming. Second, on March 28th, the state of Florida enacted a law which prohibits teachers from discussing matters of sexual uh, orientation and gender identity with students who are in kindergarten up to third grade. That would be children between the ages of five and eight that Florida says you can't talk to kids about that. Almost immediately, Disney, which has got a big resort in Orlando, announced that they were gonna fight the law. And then on that same day that the bill was signed by the governor, <clears throat> they held a company-wide Zoom meeting in which the president of Disney's general entertainment content, uh, Carrie Burke, said that she was dismayed that the company had only a handful of what she called queer lead characters. And she vowed that by the end of the year, 50% of Disney's characters would be racial minorities in LGBTQIA. That's her description, LGBTQIA, meaning lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and asexual. That they would, 50% of their characters <clears throat> would fall in that category. Third, at the beginning of this month, Politico released a draft uh, of the United States Supreme Court opinion, which would overturn Roe v. Wade. And the disclosure of the leaked document um, has generated a firestorm of protests all around the country, as you know. For example, on Mother's Day, hundreds of protesters descended on St. Patrick's Old Cathedral in Manhattan with signs like this one, we love abortion, and abortion is a gift. Another protester whose photo I'm not going to show you because I believe it's patently demonic, shrieked, I'm killing the babies, I'm killing the babies, as she feigned ripping the arms and the legs off of a doll. And then there was this one protester, and I wanna give you a heads up, I'm gonna show you the clip on this, the 10 second clip, um, I think says it all, but it's quite disturbing. Take a look at this. So apparently the Supreme Court, um, I, I heard, is going to release its final report um, on Roe v. Wade tomorrow. 
uh, I might have heard wrong, but they could possibly do it tomorrow. And if that's the case, I'd say the country needs to brace itself. So these are the three hottest stories of the year so far, on top of everything else that's going on. And you, when you consider what's happening today, you can't help but come to the conclusion that the world has gone utterly mad. So what are we to make of it, right? Well, here's what I want you to know. What we're witnessing today is not about politics. It's not about left versus right. It's not about Republicans versus Democrats. It's not even about same-sex marriage and LGBTQ rights or Roe v. Wade. It's not about that. It's more sinister than that. It's darker than that. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you know we've been in a series called What We Believe. <clears throat> and the series is about the Bible's core tenets, which forms the basis of our faith. And uh, we're still on the subject of Jesus. And today, I want to wade into a topic that's not typically covered in a systematic theology course, the study of Christ, Christology. And, and, and that is the hated Christ. That's what I'm talking about today, the hated Jesus. And I decided to explore this aspect of the Lord with you because I wanted to give you some insight into what in the world is going on today. Um, and so grab a Bible, grab a pad of paper, uh, open up our app. I think you'll find that helpful. And uh, let me begin our word of time in prayer. Okay, so it's so important to pray today. Father, thank you so much for gathering us today. And um, Lord, these are very hard times that we're living in. I think we all sense that. I think we all feel that, that there's kind of this darkness in our land. And, and yet, Father, these are very, I think these are very exciting times because you've given the church a very special role to play in, a time, in times of darkness. And Lord, for, for, for many of us, we are, we are dismayed, we are discouraged, we are confused, we don't, know, we don't always know what to make of what's going on in the world today. But, but Father, I believe that, that your word can give us insight. So we simply look at Jesus' life, we can get an idea of what's going on today. And so, Father, today I pray that you, you would be the voice that speaks to us, not me, but you. And I pray that you would speak to us very clearly. I pray that your words, your word would convict us. And I pray that your word would, would teach us and show us and open our eyes and enlighten our hearts. So thank you, Father. We commit this service to you. And again, I ask whether people are watching online or under the tent or here in the lobby or here in the worship center, that you would have your way with us and you would speak to us. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to begin by just sharing with you just some uh, personal thing that I've been going on, that's been going on with me. And that is just, I, I've just been feeling... Um, kind of worn down and, and tired lately. I've just been feeling worn, worn down and weary. Uh, and I haven't been um, anxious or depressed, um, just weary and uh, tired. And I can't attribute it to one particular thing. I think it's just an accumulation of just months, even a couple of years of just nonstop. We've just been going and going all throughout the pandemic. And then and this year hit, and then we, we had to figure out how we're going to open up and and uh, we had to go through, the, we had Easter, and that was crazy, and that was great, and we loved it. And then, and then my mom passed away, and I think it's just an accumulation of a lot of things. So I've just been really weird and weary and uh, tired lately. And, um, and, you know, again, things, things with my health are, are fine. 
And, but, and last week, as I was just feeling really tired, um, I was reminded of something that Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, 19, and 20. So I opened it up, and, and I, I looked, looked at that. And it's a verse that I'm, many of you are familiar with. I've read it you know, dozens and dozens of times, hundreds of times over the years. And, and the verse really ministered to me. I'm just going to put it up here for you. And, and, I wanted, and I just, you know, I'm a teacher, so even as I was looking at it as part of my devotions, I just kind of took the word, took the verse apart, you know. Well, in verse 28, the word labor is the Greek word, and I checked it out. It's the Greek word, which means exhausted or worn out or depleted, right? And by the way, the reason why I mentioned that it's the Greek, what the Greek definition is, is because the New Testament was written in Greek, and, and our English doesn't always do justice to what it really means. So I looked at the Greek, and the word, the Greek word for labor means exhausted, worn out, or depleted. And I thought, yeah, that's me. Uh, I'm kind of depleted. I'm kind of worn out. I'm kind of exhausted. And then the word heavy laden. Come to me all who are, let me, I should probably read it to you first, right? It, Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All right, so that word heavy laden, again, looked at the Greek, and it means to be weighed down. And again, I said, yeah, that's me. I'm kind of weighed down. I'm kind of worn out. I'm kind of exhausted. I'm kind of depleted. And then I love what Jesus said in verse 29. He said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And uh, the word gentle is self-explanatory. But the phrase lowly of heart in the Greek means to be low to the ground. It means to be low to the ground. And I love that. It's, ha- it's having a sense of, of, of deep lowliness or humility. That's, that was the description Jesus gave of himself. He says, you know, it's quite a description. He said, I am gentle and lowly of heart. And I find it fascinating as you read scriptures that Jesus never said, I am loving. I am holy. I am powerful. I am merciful. Never said any of those things. But he said of himself, I am gentle and lowly of heart, which to me means he is approachable, that he is available, and he is gracious. And if you go to him, you can find rest for your souls. He will welcome you with open arms. And I can't tell you how much it blessed me to read this last week and to kind of take it apart and understand a little bit more that I could go to him in these times of weariness, I could go to him and I could find rest for my soul. And so the Lord, I just want you to know, the Lord has really been a, a, a real refreshment to me and he's really ministered to me, all right? And, and what he's like here reminds me, uh, reminded me of the woman caught in adultery. You remember what, what he said to her when she was caught in adultery? They brought her to her, caught her in adultery. And remember what he said to her? He said to her, has no one condemned you? He asked her, has no one condemned you? Well, then neither do I. So go and sin no more. I mean, he was absolutely gentle in his response to her. And then when his friend Lazarus died, and he saw Lazarus' tomb for the very first time, and he knew that his friend was behind that tomb, and he was dead. Do you remember what Jesus did? It says he wept. He just cried because his friend was gone. And then when he approached Jerusalem for the very last time before he was crucified, Luke tells us that Jesus wept at the thought of all those lost souls in that city and the fate that awaited him because he knew what was going to happen to them. He just wept. You see, Jesus truly is gentle and humble in heart. So with this as the backdrop, all right, Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. With this as the backdrop, 
I want you to turn to John chapter 7, and I want to show you how the world in general reacted to him. John chapter 7. Now, if you read John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, you'll notice that there is a seething, growing contempt for Jesus. It's growing, it's building, it's there in chapter 5, it's there in chapter 6, and then when you get to chapter 7, the animosity toward Jesus erupts into a raging inferno. Take a look at chapter 7, verse 1. And it says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. They were seeking to kill him. So when you get to chapter 7, his detractors, his enemies now want him dead. They want him dead. They want blood. They want his head. Why? Here is this Savior who is gentle and humble in heart, and they want him dead. Why? Well, he tells us in verse 7. Let's jump down to verse 7. He said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. I testify they hate me because I testify about it that its works are evil. They hated him and they wanted him dead because he testified that their works were wicked. In other words, they hated him because he called them out on their sin. He called them out on their sin. He turned the spotlight on their sin. And he said, this is what you guys are like. And recently I heard the story of a missionary who wanted to uh, minister to a tribe, reach a tribe of people deep in the heart of a jungle. And in order to create goodwill with these people, the first thing he did was he began sending gifts through different um, uh, means, sending gifts to the people. And one gift that he sent to them, one of the very first gifts he sent to them was a small hand mirror, which was something that was completely foreign to them. In fact, the people in this village were so primitive that they had never seen their own face, never seen their own face in a mirror. And word of this amazing gift started to spread throughout the village. And the missionary was then, because they were so excited about this gift, they invited the missionary to come and meet with them. And so they all gathered in the village square to meet with this missionary. And, and the princess of the village also showed up. And she believed that she was the most beautiful woman in the tribe. And the truth was, she, she wasn't very attractive at all. But when the missionary arrived, he gave her, gave the princess a mirror, and she quickly took it into a hut so that she could gaze into her royal beauty. When she lifted the mirror up to her face and saw what she looked like for the very first time, she was shocked and she was repulsed and she hurled the mirror to the ground and smashed it to pieces. And then she banished the missionary from the tribe and made it a law that no looking glass could ever be brought into the village again. Why did the princess hate the mirror? Because it revealed the truth about what she really looked like. And so she hated the mirror. There was no way to mask it. The mirror told the truth. There was no way to cover it up because the mirror reflects the truth. Well, Jesus is like a mirror. He is like a mirror. John, he said famously in John 14, 6, you're probably all familiar with this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the way and the truth. The Greek word for truth is aletheia, and it means reality. In other words, truth is reality. And Jesus is like a mirror that reveals truth. It reveals reality. He reveals reality. And just like the princess uh, looked at the mirror and it revealed reality to her, Jesus is a mirror and he reveals reality. And at the end of his life, 
<clears throat> when the authorities put Jesus on trial for blasphemy, Pilate asked him, John 18, 37, he, said, he asked him, so are you a king? Are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. And here's what I want you to get. He came to bear witness to the truth. He came to bear witness to the truth. He came to reveal reality. He came to show the people what they were really like. And what he showed them wasn't pretty. He showed them their ugliness. He showed them their wickedness and their sinfulness and their pride and their shame. He showed them that their hearts were full of evil and rage and hate. See, Jesus said in John 8, 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. He told them the truth, and they didn't like it. Not only did he tell them the truth, Jesus was also the light. He was also the light. John 8, 12 says that again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. And John 3, 19 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus came into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The word light is used frequently in the Bible as a metaphor for righteousness, for holiness, for truth. And the word darkness is used as a metaphor for evil, for sin, or for wickedness. Proverbs 4.19, I'll put it up here for you, says the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. It is a metaphor for sin. Darkness is a metaphor for sin. They do not know what they stumble over what they stumble. You see, ever since the time of Adam and Eve, man has lived in spiritual darkness. In fact, Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, Paul described the world that we're living in as this present darkness. Take a look at it. He wrote, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I mean, this really does describe the times we're living in, doesn't it? That, there, that we're living in this present darkness. Darkness covers our land today. Darkness covers the world today. I mean, not, not just here, but all around the world. There's darkness in Russia and Ukraine and China and, and North Korea. And we just, you can go on and on. There's darkness everywhere. According to Paul, the darkness is ruled by cosmic powers. That would be Satan and his, and his demons. In fact, 1 John 5, 9 says that the whole world lies in the power of the devil, the evil one, right? And it was into this darkness, get this, it was into this darkness that God sent his only, one and only son, Jesus, to be a light. He sent Jesus to be a light. John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come in the world as light. I came in the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, you would have thought when Jesus came into the world, that they would have welcomed the light, that they would rejoice that the light had come into the world, a light to light the darkness. But that wasn't the case. Here was the problem. The people didn't love the light. They didn't welcome the light. Why? Because they loved the darkness. They loved the darkness. People loved the sin. Why, Why do they love the darkness? Well, the same reason we love the darkness today. First, they love darkness because sin can feel good. Sin can feel good. It can be pleasurable. It can be satisfying. It can even be exhilarating. 
In Hebrews 11:24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, sin can be pleasurable. Let's, let's be honest about that, right? Sin can be pleasurable. Sin can be satisfying to your flesh. Drinking alcohol can give you a buzz. Taking drugs or smoking pot can make you high. Even stealing or being involved in a sexual relationship outside of marriage can, can give you an adrenaline rush, which is why people don't want to give up sin and they love the darkness. Men love darkness. That's the first reason why men love darkness. Now let me show you a picture. Take a look at this picture. Somewhere in this picture of penguins and a snowman is a mug of coffee. There's a mug of coffee. Anybody see it? Does anybody see the mug of coffee? Sandra sees the mug of coffee. You seriously see the mug of coffee? That's amazing. Don't point it out. <laughs> All right. Here it is right here. Right? There it is. Did you get it, Sandra? Okay, she got it. That's amazing. Here's another photo. Here's a bunch of snails. Does anyone know what you call a group of snails? Someone said you call them slow. <laughs> but, but I read that you call a group of snails a route. I don't know if that's true or not. A route of snails, right? Maybe because they leave a trail of stuff, right? But somewhere in this photo is a heart. You saw, you saw the heart? You saw there's a heart. It, do you, the rest of you see it? Yeah. You're so slow, right? <laughs> so here it is right here. There's the heart, right? These pictures are a perfect illustration of the second reason why people love darkness. And that is because it hides sin. Darkness hides sin. Just like the penguins hid the cup of coffee and the snails hid the heart. Spiritual darkness hides sin. Darkness covers it up. Darkness covers it up. That's why men love darkness. And that's why men love to, men and women love to sin together. Because when you sin together, if there's one that doesn't want to go out and get drunk with the rest of you, you always feel bad about that because the light always exposes the darkness. But if you all sin together, then you don't feel so bad. So darkness covers up, darkness covers up sin. And the problem is no amount of darkness can hide our sins from God because God sees everything. Light, on the other hand, exposes sin. If I can show you John 3.20 again, light exposes sin. John 3.20 says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And that's why sometimes we as Christians, when we get into sin, we get trapped into sin. We feel guilty and we feel bad and ashamed and so then we don't want to go to church. Because the light exposes our sin and it makes us feel bad. Well, you know what? When you sin, that's the, that's, what, that's, that's the best time to go to church. So you can get right with God and you can clean up your, your act, right? That's when you got to go to church is when you sin. Well, Jesus came into the world as a light to expose our sin and they hated him for it. They hated him for it. Here's the bottom line. People of sin, they, they love sin. They love darkness. And they don't like God telling them what to do, in other words. They don't like God exposing their sin. They don't want Jesus interfering with their lives. That's the bottom line here. Now, going back to those three breaking news stories, what we're seeing today is not about politics. What we're seeing today is not about right versus left. It's more menacing than that. 
What we're witnessing today is a full-throated war against God. That's what we're seeing today. It's a war against God. And I think that Amy Hatcher Miller, who's the president of an organization called Whole Woman's Health, summarized it best when she went on NBC, MSNBC to comment on the draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. She declared, quote, it is Christian extremism. It is Christian extremism that is at the root of the shame and the stigma that allows laws like this to pass. And then I think that one of the signs that was held up by the protesters out there in front of the church summed it up perfectly as well. This sign read, rest in peace, Jesus, killed by woke deadbeat dad. And of course, the deadbeat dad was a reference, an obvious reference to God, that he killed his son. Now, in all fairness, the war on God was declared a long time ago. You might remember it was Karl Marx who famously described religion as the opiate of the masses. And because of his influence, however, it was because of Karl Marx and his influence that 100,000 churches were burned to the ground in Russia. And between 1917 and 1935, 130,000 Russian Orthodox priests were, were rounded up and 95,000 of them were slaughtered, were executed by firing squad. And then you might remember during the Spanish Civil War, way before our time actually, right? But the, during the Spanish Civil War, communists subjected a statue of Jesus in Madrid, Spain to a symbolic execution by firing squad because they couldn't stand who he was. And this is a photo that appeared in the Daily Mail. And this is, a statu this is what the statue looks like today. And who can forget what Richard Dawkins wrote in his book, God Delusions in 2006. He wrote, quote, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fictions, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniac, and sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bu bully. That's what he said about God. See, the war against God isn't new. But I submit that it has reached new heights. And uh, the bad news is it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. And increasingly, the forces of, the spiritual, dark, of spiritual darkness are putting the crosshairs on churches and on Christ followers. And Christ followers are, made out, are being made out to be the bad guys. And we're being characterized as intolerant, as bigoted, as right-wing Haters, and they'll come up with all kinds of other things. And I, I believe it's only a matter of time before pastors will be thrown into jail for teaching that, or preaching that homosexuality is a sin, that for refusing to marry same-sex couples, for providing biblical counseling to someone who struggles with same-sex uh, same attraction. And we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. In fact, the Apostle John said in 1 John 3, 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So don't be surprised, right, that the world hates us. We shouldn't be surprised. Uh, and, and why wouldn't, shouldn't we be surprised? Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Right? It hates us because it hates Christ. And furthermore, we shouldn't be surprised because the hatred of Christ, of Christ followers will be one of the hallmarks of, of life in the last days. This is what it's going to be like in the last days. So what we're seeing today is just a taste of what is to come. J Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 9, this whole chapter is about the last days. 
He said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And so if you think things are bad now, just wait till the last days. But fortunately, for the church, we'll be taken up in the rapture so we won't have to go through this. But what we're seeing is a glimpse of things to come. And um, it's happening already, right? And in the future, it won't be just a handful of nations that will kill Christians. It says the whole world will get into the act. And I truly believe, again, that what we're seeing today is just a lead up to the end. So it begs the question, right? So here's what I want to get to. What do we do about it, right? What do we do about it? How do we live? What do we do in the face of a world that's gone absolutely mad, right? Do we organize? Do we need to organize and fight back? We're going to have a meeting on Wednesday. We're going to organize and figure out how we're going to fight back. Do we need to arm up? Well, for the answer, I would direct you to what our Lord said in his Sermon on the Mount. Here's what we need to do, he said. Matthew 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may, you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You see, real children of God, he was saying, love their enemies and they pray for those who persecute them. So that's what we are to do. You know, Jesus didn't say, take up arms. He didn't say, fight back. He didn't say, march in a protest. He said, love your enemies and pray for them. So that's what we, we're going to do. That's what we need to do. And that's not to say that we shouldn't get involved in the political process. That's not to say we shouldn't vote. That's not to say that um, you can even run for office. And I think that's okay. Sometimes God leads us to do that. I mean, I, I know, for example, there's, there's a man in our church who was here last night, Henry Sanchez, a wonderful man, right? Tends our church. He was for many years the mayor of Lomita. And I'm so glad he was there. I'm so glad that there's a Christ follower there at City Hall in, in Lomita. I know two other men right now running for political office here in Torrance, Councilman George Chen and John Kaji. And both, both of these men, they don't attend our church, but both of them are, are friends and they are Christ followers. Now, while getting involved in the political process is, is fine, at the end of the day, our response, however, to what's going on must not be political. It cannot be political because what's going on is not political, right? What's going on today is not political. It may be played out on the political stage, but what's going on is not political. It's spiritual. What's going on is spiritual. Therefore, our response must be spiritual. We need to love and we need to pray. Our second response must be faithfulness to God's word. We must be faithful to God's word. Regardless of what the culture thinks or what the culture says, we must stay true to God's word. And I think the trend today, even among many churches and among many pastors, is that we want to jump onto the world's bandwagon. And we want to, in the name of diversity and inclusiveness, and it all sounds so good, we want to jump in and we want to embrace the world's culture. But we do it at the expense of God's word, and that's not okay. Pastor John MacArthur wrote that the only way for a church to be in sync with culture is to diminish the presence of the word of God. And uh, he said, and that's because he said, unregenerate culture will always be fundamentally and irreconcilably incompatible with the truth of God's word. And I think he's right, right? So much of what is coming down from Washington and Sacramento and Los Angeles and Hollywood and Disney and so many other places is fundamentally and irreconcilably incompatible with the truth of God's word. And the culture gets it wrong every time, but God's word gets it right every time right? 
Therefore, we must stay true to the word of God. We must stay true to what the Bible says, no matter what it costs us. Therefore, because as, because as Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3.15, he said the church is the living, of the living God is the pillar and the foundation of truth. We represent the truth, right? We are the pillar and the foundation of truth in the world today. And it's only when we stay true to God's word that God will bless us and God will be able to use us to bring about lasting change in the hearts of people. Let me give you one final quote from MacArthur. He said, quote, the only time the church has made any spiritual impact on the world is when the people of God have stood firm and have refused to compromise, boldly proclaiming the truth in the face of the world's hostilities. So church, that's what we're going to do, right? That's what we're committed to doing. We're going to stand firm. We're going to stay true to God's word. We're not going to compromise. We're going to go out there and proclaim the truth of the word of God as it is, as it is in the scriptures. And that takes us to, to our third and final response to what's going on in the world today, and that is we need to preach the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. In season and out of season, we need to preach the gospel. Here in the South Bay, here in Southern California, wherever God leads us, in Japan, in Ukraine, in Uganda, in the Philippines, wherever God leads us to preach the gospel, that's what we're going to do. And do you know why preaching the gospel is so important, why it's so critical? It's because man's biggest problem is sin. Man's biggest problem is sin. People's hearts are contaminated with sin, and you can't fix the sin problem. You can't fix man's heart with more laws and more rules and more regulations. It can't do it. Congress can't fix the heart problem and the sin problem. The Supreme Court can't fix the heart problem and the sin problem. But Jesus can, and Jesus did. That's why he came as light. That's why he came, and he was the truth. And as much as the, the world hates Christ because he came to speak truth about sin, because he came to expose it for what it is, here he was, gentle and lowly of heart, and he broke bread with prostitutes, and he ate with sinners, and he gathered together with tax, pay, tax collectors, and then he died on a cross for their sins and ours. What, a, what an amazing Savior he is. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. And if we believe in him, if we put our trust in him and believe that he was who he said he was and he did what he said he did, then our hearts, your hearts will be washed clean of sin. Doesn't mean you'll stop sinning. I wish that would happen. That'll happen one day when we see him. But our hearts will be washed sin and our sins will be forgiven. And the best part is when your time on this earth, when our time on this earth is all done, we will go to live with him for forever and ever in heaven. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And that is the only hope that this world has today. It is in the gospel. Our hope is not going to come through politics. Our hope is going to come through the preaching of the gospel. And that's the message we've got to take to others. And if we don't, who will? If we don't take it, who will? And if we don't take it to the rest of the world, then the world will perish. You see, we're the light now. We're the bearers of truth now. Truth is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And so in these dark times, church, we got our work cut out for us, but these are exciting times. These are the most exciting times, the most exciting time to be alive because in, this all, in all this darkness, we can let our light for Jesus shine brightly so that everyone will come to know who he is. All right, so let's close our time in prayer.
Father, thank you so much. God, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord, the reason why we even gather here together is because of what you did for us. It's because of the gospel. The gospel changed our lives. You opened up our hearts and our minds to see that we were far, far away from you. And then you brought us to a place where we would believe in you and follow you. And Lord, thank you for putting us here in this world, in this place, for such a time as this, that we might be a light, that we might proclaim the truth. And Lord, it's, our heart breaks when we see all the things that are going on in the world. And it's so easy for us to get, it, get involved in all these political discussions and get in all these heated debates. And Father, they really are pointless because the problem is not trying to get someone to see things as we see them, but the real issue is trying to get people to see who you are and to know, help them to see that, that you love them and that you died on a cross for their sins and was raised from the dead. And so, Lord, as a church, will you help us to redouble our efforts, to make you known, to tell others about you, to proclaim the truth, to proclaim the gospel. And, Father, thank you for all that you've done here. But, Lord, there's so much more work to do. So do a work in us, God, that we would follow in your footsteps. And, yeah, the hate will come. It'll come. And when it does, help us to respond in love. Help us to respond in prayer. That it might be said of us that we are sons and daughters of, of God. So thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.